know in Gilead, I was officially considered property of the Waterford family. I did, yes. Registered and everything. Like my old Nissan Altima. You don't own me, I'm not your property. So take a shifty little bitty eye over me. My lovely Rita. You were always such a blessing. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, our weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Natalie Hambly, Managing Editor of SBS Voices. Hello. Sana Kadar, host of All in the Mind for ABC Radio National. Hello. And Haiti Island, channel manager of SBS On Demand. Hello. Hello. We're in a room together, girls. I know. How <laughs> good is that? This is very weird, which very mindful this was not possible a very short time ago. And we're very lucky to be doing this. Many people in the world aren't at the moment. And if that's you listening to us, yeah, we, we're thinking of you. But for now, we're gathered in a room Without a baby, so it's like old times, but not really, because baby Greta's missing. <laughs> a little quieter. A little quieter. Around. Yes, but baby Greta's not a baby anymore, so that explains it. <laughs> um, look, we have just watched episode four of season four of The Handmaid's Tale, and this one is called Milk. It's written by JC Heldrich and directed by Christina Cho. June takes a harrowing journey with Janine. We're going to go west. We're going to follow the tracks. Trying to escape Gilead as Janine remembers a stressful experience in her past. What is this place? Somewhere we can help you understand what happens when you choose abortion. Jesus Christ. In Toronto, Serena tries to manipulate Rita. I'm sure you're wondering why I asked you here. Yes, ma'am, I am. Who seeks advice from Moira. Say your piece to her face. Or you could let her fucking rot. These synopses just really do not encapsulate everything on these episodes. But Janine flashback. Mm. Anyway, uh, what stood out for us in this episode, Sana? I'm going to go really big picture. I really like that this episode was sort of giving Rita and Janine a time to shine, you know, these two peripheral characters. And um, especially the fact that, you know, Janine got a flashback and Rita gets her revenge. That yeah. was awesome. So, yeah, a bit big picture for me. Yeah, yeah. Good one. Haiti. My standout was the scene at the end of Rita sitting down at her table enjoying sushi, savouring it just as she was savouring her freedom. <laughs> that was a beautiful moment. I also loved all the, the kind of white light drenched yeah. across her. That was a, a nice touch. Yeah, the light is a whole thing, isn't it, in that, in that episode, and especially June's in it. Tank. <laughs> so there is no light. Yeah, I think, um, I think in that scene it cut straight from Rita enjoying her freedom to... June still being trapped, and I kind of really enjoyed what they did there. Now, what's yours? Gosh, it, gosh, there's actually so many to choose from. This episode was actually really affecting. So at this stage, I might just take a broader view on Rita, and I really like how she evolved in this episode. Mm. It was great. I think last time, I think it was you, Haiti, saying that you wanted to see Rita testify. I feel like we've had that. I feel like mm. that's what happened in this episode now. Yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't have to see it. It's, you know, she's done her deposition. We're just seeing the result. 100%. It was good. Yeah, mine was also Rita and the light, the, the being bathed in light. And with Moira talking about her family, she says, may his light guide their souls. And yeah, I feel like Rita's being guided by, by mm -hmm. the light in this one. I, I had another one just in case someone else had a Rita moment. Um, just a Serena one. 
I feel she's early in her trimester. <laughs> she's already wearing maternity clothes, isn't she? Like she's really leaning into this. Very drapey clothing. <laughs> but but she makes a comment to Rita when Rita yeah. walks in the room about how she really shouldn't be on her feet I that know. much. Yet she's wearing she's the wearing most heels. ridiculous high heels. I'm like, you definitely shouldn't be on your feet if you're wearing those. Yeah, teetering on those. <laughs> I, I, don't, I thought those heels were so weird on the both of them. I'm like, I can't believe she chooses Serena chooses to wear heels. A, in captivity, B, while being pregnant. And Rita, this is what she chooses to wear during her freedom. Now, you know, having lived through the pandemic, all of us, none of us want to ever put heels on again. So it was just so funny to see that that's what the two of them were wearing. Yeah, yeah, the dress-ups. The costuming in this is so good. The Canada side of the costuming. Like, we've, you know, interrogated the Gilead side. But, yeah, Serena's wearing these drapey <laughs> big yeah. shirts. And, and did uh, any of you notice that, that Rita tends to be wearing these really washed-out beige Martha-type outfits? No, like that's like The colour is similar the the outfits are different yeah yeah that's great yeah, good good call yeah and that handbag i think by the end of the episode She's got more in that handbag. She's more comfortable with that now that she's um, <laughs> she's settling in. She's drinking the Diet Coke and eating the sushi. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, she's adjusting. Yeah, good one. So, look, this episode, it, it opens right in the immediate aftermath of last week's massacre by the train tracks. June is cutting off Janine's tracking device. Janine, of course, wants to go find the girls. She thinks maybe some of them have survived. You know, they're reeling as were we, um, but also they have to get the hell out of there because <laughs> mm. they're in danger too. So um, June's very much going into June mode and here's what we're going to do. We're going to go west. We're going to follow the tracks. We're going to be okay. She's reassuring Janine. But Janine wants to go to Boston. She wants to get a train to take her back to Boston, but <laughs> but no. Anywho, their outfits make them massive targets, but they jump a goods train to Chicago. And I love that shot that amazing aerial shot and just mm-hmm. plunging into the depths of who knows what. <laughs> Very lucky it was milk. I was thinking, what if it's petrol? Oh my gosh, <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> I mean, you probably smell it, but still. Yeah. No, I thought that was a beautiful shot too. I yeah. love that scene. Mm. And the music in that scene was fantastic too. I mean, it was so great at building a suspense. It was just beautiful as well. Mm. I really mm. love that. Yeah. Jenny, follow me in. Milk. It was so bizarre the, the first time, like you realize they're in milk. Like, why milk of all things? And obviously, the episode is cold milk. And there's a lot of food symbolism in this episode, anyways. We've got Rita making the bread, we've got Rita eating sushi fish. So, obviously, very clear Christian undertones. But with the milk, I don't know any um, clear, you know, Christian relation to the symbolism of milk. But to me, what I thought of is growing up in the Islamic tradition, I remember being told as a kid, heaven had rivers of milk and honey flowing through it. And I always thought that was really gross, actually. I was like, that sounds <laughs> terrible. I don't want to go there. But so to me, I was thinking the rivers of milk yeah. in heaven and how they are in pure hell. So that sort of contrast there is what I took away from that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, th- I think that's it. I thought of milk and honey as well. Right. Yeah, and also just innocence and childlike yeah, purity, maternal. Like yeah, it's all... I was thinking these maternal connotations and the kind of the, the threat of, of literally you know drowning in this symbol of you know motherhood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this thing that like sustains babies for like the first twelve months of their lives. Yeah, I didn't want to like labor that point. Oh my god, that was a pun. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought, yeah, there's something to do with this milk and this whole episode being about, I know The Handmaid's Tale is always about motherhood, really, but yeah. like, um, but this episode in particular, I think, mm. you know, with Serena pregnant and Janine making her choices and then the two of them escaping in like um, a whole pile of milk. So, yes. <laughs> 
Is it readers up in Canada being bathed in white light and yeah. Janine and Juna being bathed in milk? <laughs> yeah, in a dark refrigerator. So on the light, I will say, yes, so Rita always has this really amazing light sort of hitting her. But in that tank that June and Janine were in, the light was slanting through really, really sharply as well there. Every, the light is always so like specific in Gilead or in Canada, I suppose. In this show, the light always slants through with such force. It's, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, but what is it trying to say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, there is a shot where it's just the circle and you see the... The light coming through, it's very directed, like yeah. very directional, and June is very much not in it. I think Janine catches the light a little where she's putting it to June and they're having their incredible yep. stoush in the, <laughs> while sloshing around in milk. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I, I would love a breakdown of how they shot that, <laughs> that scene. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's pretty amazing. It um, did make me wonder, why do you need a whole tank of fresh milk on a war front? <laughs> You know, the soldiers out there having nice cold glasses of milk and they did strike they me tea. as... They need tea with milk. A little odd that that would be a priority on the front line of a war. It's Gilead. Why it's not Gilead canned train. goods? Yeah. Yeah, no, you can't, you can't be giving those soldiers canned goods. They need, you know, organic, yeah. farm-fresh Gilead <laughs> milk to sustain them through their fight. Yeah, 100%. Um, I also thought, you know how June unplugs, she finds the plug? Very quickly, my I was going to say, that was quite convenient. Let's see her scramble around a tiny bit more yeah, before yeah. we get to it's it. It's a minute. <laughs> I mean, I know she's motivated, but come she on. She went straight to the corner. 100%. Um, either she's been in one of those before or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that's the flashback we need to see. Um, but also I thought, wouldn't someone on the outside notice that there is gallons yeah. of milk gushing out of this train? But um, I guess not. It's on the My road. assumption was at that point they're moving. They're in the dark. They're like along the train line somewhere. So there isn't anyone around to see. I mean, if we're talking about conveniences here in, in the scripting or in the, in the way they acted it out, she also got out of that tank real easy. You know, and pull Janine out really yeah, easy. I, I was, was like, like I would be trapped there forever. <laughs> I was like, where has she been working out in Gilead all this time? What is going on? That, that was exactly my thought because I am unable to lift my weight with my arms. Same. And I was no, like, oh, upper body I would be dead right there. <laughs> I'm not yeah, exactly. Out. That would be the end of that's, the story for me. That's the end of me. Maybe they've been doing like a Sarah Connor from Terminator, you know, <laughs> just like practicing their lifts. In their room. <laughs> Pull-ups in the wardrobe when they're not yep. scrolling Latin in it. Um, yeah, all right. Well, obviously, <laughs> same on all of that. I just thought, wow, good for them. I'd be stuck. And from the train, we go to Canada, and it's Rita baking bread beautifully, you know, flour dust. <laughs> it's giving it's- me flashbacks to lockdown when my husband decided to start making sourdough wasn't quite as visually stunning as hers. But. <laughs> I did think of that. I was like, everyone is going to relate to this very differently now, watching her make bread, because <laughs> we've all tried to do it. She's sitting down to dinner with Moira and Moira blurts out. Like, it's like she just can't hold this in. She's been looking for Rita's family. There's no record of them. So that's a hint at maybe a Rita backstory that we might get if there's going to be another yeah. Rita moment. That line from Moira to me <clears throat> was sort of setting up the cruelty of what Serena dangles in front of Rita, it was sort of a reminder that you don't have a family, that like Rita doesn't have a family. It was like like reminding all of us, because I think we already knew that. Like we we got like a brief hint of that in an earlier season, that she had a son who was in the war. and, And I think we can assume from that, unfortunately, that he has died. But yeah, so I think Moira saying that was like a reminder to us as the viewers. And then when Serena dangles what she does in front of Rita, I think it's sort of, um, I don't know if anyone else, by the way, got that got that same feeling about what was going on with Serena and Rita. Maybe I'm jumping ahead. What do you mean? That's okay. 
how Serena basically dangled her pregnancy in front of Rita, trying mm. to get Rita on board. Yeah. And I just mm. thought it was so cruel mm. yeah. because Rita has lost her family. And now that she is free and she sort of has to really grapple with everything, let's face it, but also the fact that she's now on her own as well. And here's Serena saying, you can mm. come back to my family mm-hmm. and you can raise this baby. And it's just, and it's tempting and it's awful. Absolutely. She's relying on that connection they had mm-hmm. in Gilead where Rita had no choice. But they do have something, yeah. those two. Yeah. Some modicum of affection there, sort of, yeah. you know. Yeah. Mm. It's Stockholm syndrome as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was wondering yeah. as well because I don't feel that. Because Rita did care about Serena to a certain extent. And that's kind of what I liked about, that's why I said it was my highlight. What I liked about this episode was that Rita finally was free of that as well. I think it's part Mm. of like survival in Gilead is that that you just need to be able to survive in that household, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's much easier if you can actually get along and maybe even care about the people around you. But now she's out and Mm. she doesn't have to. And now she's actually free to think about them, whatever she wants to think about them. And her, her, her real feelings are are now allowed to surface. And so I think we saw that transition. And yeah, um, yeah, that was why I I enjoyed it so much. Did you notice (laughs) that um, the questions or comments that Serena and Fred make to her are both very similar and she doesn't answer back or contradict anything that Serena says. But by the time she sees Fred, she does. Yeah. Serena says something like, it's nice to have a friend. It's nice to have a friend. And Fred says something very similar, like, uh, you know, it's good to see a friendly face. And she doesn't say anything to Serena, but to Fred, she's like, oh, no, no, we're not friends. Yeah. yeah, and by then, of course, she's realised Serena was using her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on this whole Serena, her soft power is not working very no. well. Like, it didn't work on Fred the other week in the chapel. Here, you know, she's she's playing Rita and unsuccessfully. I was really wondering how much she was actually being... Look, I know that she's just naturally manipulative and I just think she can't even help it. It's just her. But I thought part of me thinks that she actually does think that Rita's her friend. Yeah. I don't think she yeah. understands what friends are. You know, I think that her and Fred are just so diabolical <laughs> that they just don't even understand what like a real relationship is. So she probably actually thinks Rita is her friend and will help her with this baby. I'm like, oh, And with her lady. defense. Let's yeah. not yeah, forget. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that's when to me it became utterly clear that this was just a manipulative move to try to get, you know, her defense bolstered. Um, yes, she might have some small affection for Rita in a weird, weird way, but I really saw this as her sort of playing her hand, trying to trying to make her position more safe and secure here. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, well, I think it's both. It's all wrapped mm. up. That's why, you know, about this show, they're not easy villains. Yeah. Like, it's not she's just straight going to try and get Rita to help her. It's like, it's all this weird, complex, mm. wrapped up you know, uneasiness. But, yeah, I, th- I think it is both. And, you know, talking about the frogs and the... Oh, I know, you know gendered means. <laughs> stereotypes. I, yeah. I have a son and that is not how it's gone for me. Like, what? Frogs? What? Yeah, yeah. I have a baby boy and I'm like, is this what I have to look forward to? All those scraped knees. Yeah, exactly. Um, for yeah. the record, my girls like trucks and they get scraped knees. Good for that. So <laughs> Serena would not be happy with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it like it does look like it's working on Rita. Like she's got a little tear in her eye. She's getting a little misty-eyed about it. Also about a baby. She loves yeah. him as well. But then I, I think it's when Serena uses the expression, my lovely Rita, and it's that hint of ownership um, mm. that Ooh. it's just that close-up on Rita's face. And it's barely a, a flinch, but I think it's just my lovely Rita that then, you know, later she says she 
was indentured to them and they had registration papers for her. So it's that, I don't know, I thought it was that line that was like, uh, uh. <laughs> That also reminds me of how much my blood boiled over two lines in this episode. Fred saying to Rita, I was never cruel to you. Yeah. Mm. Which, like, hello, what do you think her enslavement was, you jerk, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I, that really made my blood boil because he his idea of cruelty is like only when you're raping and when you're like hitting someone and all the rest. But, you know, yeah. clearly this was hugely cruel to Rita. But also the other line is when that guy, that horrible guy that June meets when she's mm. busting out and, you know, she thinks she's with the rebels, maybe Mayday, says to her when he's trying to sexually abuse her, says, you know, hey, I'm not going to force you. You're free to go. You might not be forcing her in the way Gilead did, but you're it's a life or death sort of situation you're presenting to her. Like, what is wrong with these men that can't seem to see their responsibility and their culpability here and then trying to absolve themselves and and grant themselves some like leeway? And oh, anyways, the, yeah, the that whole was thing. so clever. Like, that was mm. one of the yeah. things that sort of sat with me for a while. But like, yeah, that line from that guy, whoever he is, like, kudos to the writers for that one and it sort of it has landed for us right in a week when we're talking about consent and milkshakes and I don't know if we should explain that but for yeah, her look it up, we wouldn't do it justice no. <laughs> but yeah this this whole conversation about um, sorry milk milkshakes oh, oh, yes. Yes. Anyway. oh my gosh you're right what? Yeah, should we explain so for her so many a quick recap, which is like the government is currently trying to school Australians on what consent is and their method was through this really confusing clip about like milkshakes, but they also made the female the aggressor, uh, the aggressor yeah. which was everyone was just left confused. Yeah. Um, Milkshake metaphor did not work. It, it was an work. obtuse reference to something that needs to be quite simply yeah. explained. Yes. And, you know, and like I think the two words which were the rebuttal to that are enthusiastic consent, you know, like it's actually not that hard to understand. Mm. Um, but it was just, yeah, so interesting to me that right when we're having all these conversations at the moment, and they're not just Australian conversations either, but it certainly has been very much in our headlines, um, that, yeah, that awful line that made all of our blood boil, yeah. I reckon, was like, I'm not forcing you or something. Entirely. Oh. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, if you don't, you can't stay and you won't get food and you have to go out and who knows exactly. what will happen to you. Also, yeah. like, I just wanted to scream, like, this is June fucking Osborne. Like, she killed a man with a pen. You <laughs> really think this is her only use? Like, you little weasel, you. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You go there. It is brilliant on the part of the writers to to script that, I think, because there is no binary of like inside Gilead bad, outside Gilead good, right? Like in war, mm -hmm. everyone's lacking in morality in some way or another. So I think that was really true to real life for them to do that. But when it dropped, when, you know, the penny dropped with what he was asking, like my heart just sank so far for poor June. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it was really realistic. I think so too. And, you know... It's not just in the show. Commanders walk among us, you know, <laughs> or want to be commanders anyway. So, um, and, you know, sometimes they look good in coats as oh. well. So let's yeah. not be. <laughs> it, it's yeah. just, yeah. it's that idea of, you know, they, 
June and Janine, they plunged into a tank not knowing what the hell was in it and they plunged themselves on this group, assuming they were May Day, thinking they're not Gilead, they must be the good guys. It's, mm. it's not that clear yeah. cut. And yeah. he looked like a scruffy, handsome, like, freedom fighter. Like, yep. you wanted to be on his side initially, right? Also, yeah. because he, he also had said that line of, like, sex slaves sex in America. Slaves. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Mm. And the complete sort of dishonesty he has with, like, his actions and their actions and he's just not getting it, which I, which I thought mm. was a great reflection on, like, real life, you know. Um, and back in the tank. <laughs> um, here's where Janine and June have it out. They are reeling because it, it's the same day they've lost Alma and Brianna and all the girls. And Janine calls June on that. They were waiting for you. She, she suspects correctly that June gave up their location, didn't know the details, but then got that. But, like, she's getting fed up of being... Pushed around, like what mm. you said in the first episode, Sonnet, that you're sick of yeah. <laughs> poor Janine. You want to see what happened? Janine's yeah. sick of it too. Yes, yeah, she is. Um, you know, she, you can't keep me in the dark, feed me lies and shit and expect me to just be okay with it. I'm not a mushroom. I'm not. Yes. I love yeah. that line. And, of course, we see she's got very real first-hand experience of being fed lies mm. um, in her flashback that, that we'll get to. Like, I love that that's what triggered then this this memory of being lied to in a very dramatic way. Um, and so with the truth bombs being lobbed around in that tank, this whole idea of underestimating Janine, and that's what comes out in the rest of the yeah. episode. Janine's been underestimated all of her life, pre-Gilead as well. Um, and then we go and see a little bit more detail on that. Thank you for the Janine flashback. <laughs> we do love her so. Mm-hmm. Young Janine working shifts at um, Denny's, I Denny's. think it is. Yeah, trying to get out of a shift for a doctor's appointment. A little bit of maroon in that um, flannelette <laughs> shirt she pops on. A lot of colours floating around in, in the backstory there. You know, you get a sense she's used to some bad guys, maybe make some bad choices. Bad guy that we're talking about compliments her on her eye patch. That's <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. Right side. Yeah. You know, may, maybe some guys who would do that. A little compliment. And... Um, Anyway, she's found herself pregnant, would rather not be, and seeks out a termination and goes to a clinic that presents as an abortion clinic, references to insanity around the birth rate. Um, so it's, you know, yeah. becoming mm. that time, just, just pre-Gilead. I think this is a whole storyline that hits different for American audiences. Yeah. Like I think that thing, that place that Janine mistakenly went to, look, I'm not like really familiar with them in the sense that I think they're really they actually real. popular in America. Like I think it's actually like a real thing where like women get tricked into Oh really? into, like, thing. yeah, it was actually funded by the government, I think, like a previous government. And it's a yeah, it's actually like like a real thing where they look like they're going to give you abortion advice or or the abortion procedure and instead they are just like a religious cover to mm. convince you to mm. keep your baby you know like and to delay so, you as well so the time you spend doing that is time lost um in terms of you know that there is a ticking clock to, to when you can do it because the because the woman in that scene does say to janine don't worry you have plenty of time to, to make rush. the right decision <laughs> she doesn't have that much time yeah. if she wants to make the, the decision that she wants right yeah, yeah so i thought that was complete crap which the whole thing was yeah i was wondering like how i think i think it's really controversial in america to have like abortion on screen and sort of crazy to me so i kind of looked up like a brief history of it Mm. and the first one was like in the 1970s 
And that was super controversial then. And I'm like, that was so long ago. And it's still controversial now. Like, I was well, really it's under threat. To, like, Roe constantly. Wade is- Yeah. And I was just, I was wondering that about the decisions that they had to make. And I think it's, and it seems to be historically, writers seem to want to put it in their storylines and reflect real life. And it's networks that don't want it because they are afraid of advertiser boycotts. And, and this has just been going on for decades. And I was wondering whether like, you know, the fact that we have streaming services now and it's not all just big major networks. I don't know whether that has sort of changed the landscape for how we can mm. cover topics like that. But the other thing is like, how much have we seen women get treated in this show? You know, like they're raped, they're tortured, um, murdered, mutilated. Um, and we see this not just in this show, but like so much on like TV and movies. All the procedurals have start with the dead body of a dead woman. Dead body, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I've seen some horrible stuff. Yet it's always this storyline where a woman actually has agency over her own body. And that is always the one that's controversial. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, this is so messed up, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great documentary, aka Jane Roe, that looks at the Roe in the Roe v. Wade and the history of um, of the abortion movement um, or anti-abortion movement, should I say, in, in the US. And also an excellent movie that came out last year, which this scene reminded me of, never rarely, sometimes, always, about a teenager in a small town who, you know, is pregnant and rather not be and goes to a clinic thinking it's <laughs> an abortion clinic, mm. but it's one of these. And the kindly, kindly older lady in this clinic, yeah, delays her considerably. Mm. So it's then about the choices she has to make. And um, anyway, never rarely, sometimes, always relates to the questionnaire you have to answer. And I hadn't prompts. heard of that. Mm. Sorry, was that a TV show? No, it was a movie. movie. Yeah. That's no, very good. The other thing that I would say is that, like, um, was so refreshing. Like, how refreshing was to have Janine's two experiences yes. one where she's being tricked, and one yes. where she actually gets, like, the good, easy advice, the no personal questions, you know, are you religious? Yeah. Like, none of that stuff. The other thing is that, like, for I think I feel like all the abortions that I've seen depicted on screen, they're always surgical. And um, and yeah. this was just so refreshing mm-hmm. that it wasn't that. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so kudos to the Handmaid's Tale makers again, you know, um, tricky subject matter. And I'm sure it's much more controversial in the US than it probably is for us. Um, so uh, I really appreciate that they went there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I was going to say that that second scene with the, the doctor proper um, where she says, you know, do you want this baby? Okay, then the rest is none of my business. That was so good to hear. It was so nice to hear someone treat Janine with respect, yeah. you know, and, and as a person who can make her own choices. And yeah, I, I really appreciated that scene coming after. And the other thing I would say, like in terms of infuriating lines in this episode, it was the woman at the fake place. Um, when she was trying to scare her about the procedure yeah. and saying about all the risks. And I'm just like, I'm just there thinking, what about the risks of actually having a baby, which Absolutely. no one really tells you, which yeah. is really infuriating, yeah. you know, like even your, even like women in your lives kind of don't want to tell you because they don't want to frighten you from it. But the thing is a goddamn trauma. <laughs> yeah. <you know>? yeah. <laughs> like, your body is not the same afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, no one ever talks about that. No. Uh, and also with the risks, she tells her she could be infertile. And it's like, lady, when she does eventually have an abortion, then she's indentured baby maker for Gilead. Like that that did not mm, happen. Yeah. I also like the mirroring of the scene at the fake place with the scene between Serena and Rita. It's does the father know? <laughs> and Serena's mm. got no intention of telling Fred. And also there's, uh, I think Serena makes the point about God chose this moment when we're separated and the woman at the um, cl- at the fake 
fake lady. We'll just call the fake lady. <laughs> fake lady. Um, <laughs> says, um, someone up there chose you for this. Like she's got, so I, I like there's the kind of the two ends of these discussions about a, a new pregnancy. One is yep. very much wanted, but both are unplanned. <laughs> Isn't um, that nice? How you can always just twist your beliefs to fit whatever you want it to fit. <laughs> Just on that, that just made me realise that, you know, on the topic of a woman's right to choose whatever she wants, um, Serena didn't want Fred to know. And that was her choice to make. Normally, you know, in normal circumstances for someone like Rita to go behind her back and tell the, the father would make all of our blood boil. Right. Like that. That's so such an awful thing to do. But. I did not, when I was watching this, did not think that at all. I thought, you go, girl, you stick it to her, right? So this is this is actually something on the part of Rita that's maybe a little bit shitty, but mm. obviously in the grand scheme of things, in the mm. context we find ourselves, it's not that bad, right? Yeah. But it, yeah, it just um, it just made me think, oh, there's there's actually shades to, to how she's played this out as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely mm. right. And who knows what that's going to do. But we'll get to, uh, <laughs> now, now that Fred knows. I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, <laughs> And from that scene, Janine realises she's lied to, gets out of there and then eventually gets herself to a, to a proper clinic. We go to Canada again with Rita being met by Tuello to reveal, of course, that uh, very presumptuously, Serena has just made the assumption that Rita's now on board with the team. And this is where Rita makes the point that she mm. was a slave, formally acknowledged with re- registration papers, much like her old car. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a really big moment in the series because the series has copped a lot of criticism for not addressing race. And although it's not explicitly addressed here, it's very strongly present in this scene where we have Rita acknowledging that she was a slave. Actually, it's kind of, you know, all but saying the words. So I think that's really important that the show's gone there now. Yeah, it's really Yeah, big. I agree. Like, you know, it's formal legislated um, ownership of, a, of an actual person. And then, of course, from there, we go straight to this scene with Fred. Rita, bathed in light. <laughs> She's like the chairman of the board. She's at the, the top of that table in that meeting room, yeah. wherever the, the detentions. Where are they? Where I don't are, know. I mean, it's beautiful in a brutalist way, but yeah. It is where beautiful. Um, Isn't she just, she's just so classy because yeah. um, that's such a, a nice... It was a beautiful scene, a great moment for her. And I'm like, I would just be tempted to get those clippers out and take a finger, you know? <laughs> like, like she just says some like powerful words and leaves. And and I think, oh, I wish I could be that nice about it. I don't think I could be. I would want to like do something, I think. I'm not saying, don't, I'm not saying I would, but I would really want to. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> don't test me. Yeah, she's just so dignified. Yeah, I think it's it's wonderful that she doesn't let that go when she says what she needs to say. And the Waterfords, I think they kind of see her as this almost like the kind of mammy stereotype yeah. of the, the happy black slave, black servant. And yeah, I think it's wonderful that she just kind of keeps it together and completely destroys that understanding that they have of her. Yeah, absolutely. Then, of course, she pulls out the ultrasound pick... You deal with your family. It's not my job anymore. And I thank God for that every day. I was never cruel to you. I'll pray for your son. And his expression is, my what now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, one thing I noticed in that scene, and I'm half of the mind, I'm like, am I reading too much into this? But 
the other half is like, no, everything's intentional. So when he's um, looking at the ultrasound, Fred, it's a low angle shot, mm. um, the camera. And the way the camera moves, it frames the beams behind him on the ceiling in a cross. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just like oh, nice. I don't know. I, I think that's accident. intentional. Yeah, exactly. Because um, because the camera does move, so the cross sort of like morphs away uh, after a bit. But um, yeah, he's staring down at the ultrasound, and there's a cross above him um, in white beams on the ceiling. I wonder like what he thinks of a baby now. Like um, in terms of Serena dangling it over reader, I think. One of the things that Rita had to let go of is that, like, when they were in Gilead, like, a baby was so prized. Like, the households wanted one. It was, like, a little bit of joy in a really, like, nightmare landscape. And But not only that, it also brought benefits to the household. The men wanted a baby, not because they wanted a baby, but because it meant they would get a promotion. Mm. Um, so, like, I don't know how much Fred actually wants a baby, you know. Yeah. For him, it's always <laughs> just been something that he can use to manipulate to, you know, further his own power. So, yeah. I feel mm. like he'd be pretty proud that he can make a baby. You know what I mean? <laughs> and yeah. probably that it's a boy, right? Let's yeah, yeah, be yeah. honest. I think yeah. he'd be pretty chuffed it's a boy. Yeah. Like, I always say they are quite diabolical. So, I'm sure he's probably just sitting there thinking, what can I do with this information now? Yeah. <laughs> How can I make this work for me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is interesting that on finding out that she's pregnant, Serena, because I was kind of wondering in the last episode whether the pregnancy will cause them to reunite again. Yeah. And Serena seems set on separating and not telling Fred and and going down this new path. I wonder if now Fred will kind of do the reverse now that he knows Serena's pregnant, he might try to reconcile with her. I well, think that would be an interesting turn. This is interesting. So I did go back and watch the trailer yes. this time because <laughs> I was like, clearly I've missed some things and not remembered. We've been um, banging on about yeah, it. Exactly. So, yeah. And there's, there's, you know, shots of pro-Waterford protests in there. Mm. You know, free the Waterfords, I think, which is happening in Canada, it seemed like. Um, and there's also a shot of Fred and Serena walking together, which that I don't know if that's from previous times or what. <laughs> but um, so it sounds like this baby might get them back together, back in their power, really using that that to bolster their sort of public sympathy and, and, and get back out in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Free the Waterfords, never. Yeah. <laughs> I so, think so. Fred doesn't care about a baby, but he can see it as good PR. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah totally. I think so. Yeah, agreed. Because we've seen Serena's tactical thinking of how do I use his behaviour towards me as my out for my defence. Yeah. I think we'll see a bit more tactical thinking from Fred going forward. And also for Serena, like I said, her soft power is not having much effect no. <laughs> on mm. people. Um, I'm not saying she'd want to go back to Gilead, but I'm also not not saying that either. <laughs> we don't know how this trial is going to pan out. I think that's the big... Um, yeah, I guess if, if there's a trial. if she, Once she finds out that Rita isn't going to uh, help her in court, and she might find that her defence case is falling apart and her only option is, is, to, reunite is to reunite with Fred. Mm. Choices. They're all through this episode. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, oh, my God. I've written in my notes no upper body strength about the train. That's not <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I, th- I don't think there's a person that watched that that would not think, wait, what? How did she do that? But also the other thing on that actually is um, when June finally is changing her clothes out of the handmade yes. stuff um, and she's changing into civilian clothes, right? There's a shot of her taking her shirt off and I'm like, that is a very shaved armpit for someone who's been in captivity for a long time. There is not a speck of hair that I can see. That. Yeah. There's no razor blades for handmaids, yeah. too. I that. mean, maybe she had laser hair removal <laughs> before times, but that's something that stood out to me. <laughs> maybe she got it after that, like, cold shower that she got at the end of the last episode. Yeah. Maybe she, um, you know, was allowed to clean herself up a little bit. <laughs> they would not be handmaids. 
don't have razor blades at that point. I'm just, <laughs> no, maybe no, some wax. I sort of maybe yeah push through all that sort of stuff back in season one when um, her hair was always blonde. Yeah, right. Yep. <laughs> I was yep. like, yeah, that's not how that would go. <laughs> <laughs> we have roots? to give some creative liberties here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> These are people who walk in the world. Yes. Um, and so we're we're at the moment, of course, where they've climbed out of the tank and. Encountered Stephen. Yes. Um, and Sorry, is that is that his actual name, or Stephen. if you just called him Stephen? No, his name no, is Stephen. No, no, no. Oh, Stephen. The woman is Stephen. Because I have a theory that like half the men in the world are called Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Where does this come from? Because I'm surrounded by Steves all the time. <laughs> Uh, I, always, I, always I guess he is up. meant to be like your typical man that you underestimate yeah, or overestimate, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> oh, that's good. No, but his comrade lady does call him Stephen. That's true. Yeah, it's coming soon. <laughs> Natalie Hamley's podcast, surrounded by Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Stevens. You're all lovely. Yeah, no. <laughs> but also, I was going to say, it did strike me that everyone in that outside area um, seemed to be people of colour. Yes. That mm. we came across. And I wonder whether that means something specific or, you know, what, what that was about. I wondered about that too. And I thought maybe that's part of why June defaults to thinking... They're May Day because, like, people of colour aren't rising through the ranks. We saw one commander of yes, colour yeah. back a couple of seasons ago and now. And I but, think um, an Asian yeah, wife They're pretty few and far between in terms of ranking um, in Gilead. So I think maybe she thought, oh, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, they're more my people. They're like, yeah. not literally, but, you know, more that they're probably less inclined to be Gilead for starters. Yeah. Never mind the fact they've just shot <laughs> A bunch of Gilead guards, so that's yeah, obvious. Exactly. But yeah, I wonder, did she? Yeah, I wonder if that's if that's going to evolve or that's going to get um, illuminated mm. later down the line in mm. terms of whether there's a race element here, or or maybe they just don't address it and it just sort of stays as a as an unspoken thing. Yeah, this feels like such a huge moment that I'm actually afraid I may have got it wrong. But um, the fact that she got out of the tank of milk, she's out of Gilead now. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah. I want to yeah. say it is true. Yeah. Right? She's on the front. <laughs> yeah. She's out of Gilead, guys. Oh my god. <laughs> well, she's yeah. in disputed territory. The um, the I think the official Handmaid's Twitter released a map of um what Gilead America looks like, and sort of the middle section more or less is all Gilead, and then the outer rim of that is disputed territory, and beyond that is is America still. Mm. So she's yeah in the war zone basically on the on the very front of it all, and which I don't think we've seen before, have we? No, no. I, was, I was trying to work out where they were actually because it doesn't seem like they're in Chicago. There was a there was like a shot of a skyline as they were driving through the city, and it didn't look like the Chicago skyline to me. Yeah. I don't know well but enough to know. I, know. I was wondering. Yeah. I was going to ask someone with more local knowledge. <laughs> I mean, I've been to Chicago as a child many times. I don't remember. I don't know if that was Chicago. But what struck me actually is that those streets, those dilapidated streets, actually kind of look like a lot of places. In America, you know, like even recently I was in, in Niagara Falls, New York. Parts of that like are really run down, obviously without the bullets and, you know, the things on fire. But like this was really evocative of actually parts of America that exist, which I thought was really kind of scary. I did like that the, the secret hideout they were taken to appeared to be like an old rock climbing center. Did anyone else see that? Like there was, <laughs> yes, there was like yeah, kind of I did. paintings on the wall of rock climbers and the office where they're taken to. Looks like it's in a cave. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice little kind of bunker element yep. that they put in. And there's more reminders of how much the outfits 
mark them. Like when they walk through that room um, mm. and everyone else turns their heads like, what the fuck? There's handmaids, um, you know, of course, on the top of the, tra- the train. They stick out a mile away. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just like markers and that's what makes Stephen <laughs> remark about them being sex slaves. Mm-hmm. And that's all he sees them as, you know, that, yeah, like you can't all see of those interactions. Outfit. Yeah. Everything June's saying of like, you have no idea yeah. what we've been through. Um, we'll do anything. Yeah. He's just reading in a sexual way, in a power way, that that's all they are to him and to the world. And that's, yeah, June realises. It makes me think about like, you know, a lot of this show ties to the experience of refugees in the real world, right? Mm. And so often refugees are sort of completely in in the eyes of of the West or, you know, whoever's receiving them, stripped of any backstory or history or capability or, you know, sense that these people were whatever they were in their previous lives and they are very capable and often educated and all the rest, but all you see is someone desperate for help and maybe a bit of a nuisance kind of thing. You just completely strip them of their Mm -hmm. humanity Mm -hmm. and that's what he was doing with her. You know, didn't even entertain that she can get stuff done, right? Like, didn't even think of that, which is infuriating. He says to her, this is what you've got. Yeah, that's all you've got. Yeah, sex and that's all you have to offer. Yeah. Yeah. And... The line, I guess you're used to this. Like, um, I was thinking yes. of her her chant, really, like, you treat it like a job, da-da-da-da. That was kind of um, the face I thought <laughs> we might be going into that territory. But then, of course, when she walks out, she says, you're not Mayday, are you? And he's, what's Mayday? What's Mayday? Yes. So I'm interested in this whole idea of what is Mayday? Is it a thing? Mm. Is it a construct that enslaved people have made up that there's this big group coming to get them. Or um, Mayday is just June. That's it. She's Mayday. <laughs> it's a one-woman show. Mayday's what you she's make dreamt it. the whole thing up. It's just her. <laughs> but yeah, no, it did make me think, actually, so is Mayday not as strong and far-reaching as we had hoped? Are they, you know, just people in Gilead trying to get out? Are they not really on the outside or maybe in Canada, but not this rebel zone kind of area? Is it an idea that's been passed on by rumour that... Yeah. There is something, but then it just takes someone like June, like, you know, like all of them, like whoever wants to do it, yeah. <laughs> um, just to go, well, fuck it, we're mm-hmm. Mayday. Yeah. Or it's just it's so like, underground yes. that it just has to be small and secret. Yeah. Like the Martha Underground yes. um, Railway. But, yeah. I think it goes back to that line from maybe the last episode where June says, you know, we are who we've been waiting for. You know, there is there is no Mayday, we're Mayday. It's yeah. sort of just touching on that. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then so Janine's down there picking through jumpers, picks out a maroon one. Of course <laughs> she does. <laughs> and Serena's chairs in her bunker are all, all, all the, um, they're all the wife teal as well. You know, these colours aren't leaving them. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Maybe try yellow. Yeah. <laughs> I think June dons a yellow sweatshirt in the yellow. Yeah. yeah, she does. Janine should have got a green one with her red hair. Oh, amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so then June goes back into reassurance mode. We're going to pick another place. We're going to find someplace else. I promise it's going to be okay. But it rings hollow because <laughs> June doesn't know that. And Janine knows that June doesn't know that. We know that. None of them know that because we don't know that either. It's like they're going from like one hell to another. Oh, totally. you know, at some yeah. point you've got to go, it's going to get better, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, at some point you have to have optimism because can it get worse? <laughs> I on. mean, the milk was a real low point for me. I was like, this has just got to be the absolute pits to end up in a vat of milk. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Freezing your ass off all night. Oh, miserable. And having a fight in that as well and you can't walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't walk away. <laughs> Silent treatment in a freezing cold tank of milk heading to a war zone. Like, Who comes to- up with this shit? It's so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the 
letters. <laughs> exactly. I love the contrast of the two scenes where bread was served at the start of the episode. Yeah. Like Rita makes yeah. this a beautiful loaf of sourdough in this kind of free state, like free yeah. kind of place in Canada and bathed gives it some moira and she's bathed in light. And then at the end of the episode, we have Janine yeah. handing June, you know, like a, a crappy old stale piece of um, loaf of <laughs> Wonder White. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just this, this contrast between these two different types of freedoms, like June and Janine have kind of reached a point where they're out of Gilead. They're not really free, but they kind of are. But uh, they've kind of got the watered down, piss weak version of the beautiful sourdough that uh, Rita's eating up in yeah. Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. The they don't have any food, you know, like they like they just ask for food and they're kind of like, we don't, yeah, like what food? We actually yeah. don't have any. And there are so many strings attached to that, Oof. you know, getting a piece of bread. That scene where Janine comes in and gives her the piece of bread, and obviously you realize, you know, mm-hmm. what she's had to do for that piece of bread. And the whole episode leading up to that is this. This fight between June and Janine, you know, what does Janine bring to the table? June says to her, I should have left you a long time ago. You know, like there's this whole idea about June's pulling all the way here. What's Janine doing? And then in the end, that's the thing she does that that saves the day for them. Right. Like she 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 goes there, which is just so Mm. awful that that's where she does something that's really specifically useful to, to their survival, right? Like I think it's it really calls thing. to all of her trauma that yeah. she has gone through because the line that she says, which is... Um, it wasn't so bad. He thinks my eye patch is cool. I just thought, yeah, because you have seen bad. Yeah. You know? Exactly, yeah. Like, you know bad men, yeah. And just between those scenes is the flashback to the good doctor yeah. in the clinic. That's it. And the doctor says, you already did the hard part. part. Mm. So, you know, then... Clearly, that's what makes Janine do it. Well, I've been a handmaid in Gilead. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I've done, exactly. I've done the hard part. She's kind this of like, I can do. Yeah, exactly. And she's kind of, um, I don't know if she's chuffed or proud or any of that, but she's kind of happy that she could provide some sort of security for them or, you know, do something that keeps them safe for a little bit longer, right? Yeah. Like she's kind of happy with her, her contribution there at the end, which is just the whole thing was so sad to me. Yeah, it's messed and, up. I think it changed my mind about Janine as well. I was thinking that the very first time we meet Janine, I think, you know, episode one, season one, the handmaids were having their introduction with Aunt Lydia and Janine comes in and she's behaving really badly. That's right, yes. And she's like talking back and that's and that's why she loses her eye. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say lose her eye, that sounded way too passive. Oh, down the back of the couch, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she Lydia just lost that, didn't she? <laughs> just fell out. It happens. Um, no, Lydia plucked it out or oh, had yeah. someone else do it. Ripped it out. It was so awful. But yeah, because we see in this backstory and we see her her life and what it's like and the struggles that she's going through and the fact that she's really trying to like raise her beautiful boy and the actress, by the way, I got her name wrong in the last episode. I think I called her Madeline Brewster, but it's Madeline Brewer. Brewer. I'm very sorry. She sings like an angel. I know. (laughs) Very, very beautiful. But the reminder of like that, of course, she was, I don't think, like we didn't know in episode one that she had a boy and she had been raising him lovingly and trying so hard. And then, of course, he was ripped away from her. And then she was like sent into this awful handmade world. And it's sort of like I'm feeling very forgiving now of all the times when like um, Janine has always done the wrong thing. Like she's always been the handmaid that is always has acted out in ways that were just not smart. Mm. But it's from trauma. And so her singing to her son in this episode 
which is what I found really affecting, took me back to a previous season when she had given birth yeah. and she was singing yeah. to that baby yeah. in hospital, which yeah. which sent me. Yeah, <laughs> like that broke me, that yeah. scene. Um, the scene where baby Angela was at risk and, and it was she put it to her, her mm-hmm. flesh. Actually, Remember? yeah, I think that was a bit after the birth where, yeah, she was failing to thrive and then they brought Janine back in to, I don't know, be with her. And she sang to her on, on the windowsill, I think it was. Yeah. It was just mm-hmm. the Based most light, beautiful. I think. Yes, Maybe. yes, yes. Yeah. I think I remember that too. And it feels so cruel now that her son has yeah. um, died who was hit by a car, right, or something like that. I'm Is that like, what happened? Well, yeah. Remember June last season found the files in oh what's space in Lawrence's basement and found out little Kayla Bull, there's a little... Reference that's to right. it in the flashback, yeah. He died oh, early so days of Gilead awful. and then lied to Janine about it. But Janine so, doesn't know it yet. Yeah, I know. he's on the beach. Isn't that awful? It's so, so many layers of awful here. <laughs> yeah. My brain and, can't compute right now. And the whole thing, you know, about underestimating Janine, I confess I've done it too. I adopted, oh, Janine. Like, yeah. I, you know, yeah. Very patronising. Sorry, Janine. And the fact that when we first, the flashback moment about the appointment, I assumed it was for that child. I assumed it was for Caleb, who then yes, lost his same, life. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then she was a mother, and then it was the choice. I can't have another. Which is a, a very common experience, uh, apparently. You know, the, I think the majority of women who end up getting an abortion actually already have children. Mm. Um, I don't know. I might be getting my stats wrong, but no, I feel yeah, like a lot of uncommon. Them, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A, that was the other thing about abortion being depicted on like TV shows yeah. and how it's kind of frequently not really real life, and that uh, so many women already have multiple children yeah. and also that they're not doing it on their own. Like mm. normally like their partners or their husbands are in on the decision as well. Like it, all this stuff is always sort of depicted that it's just this one sad woman making this traumatic decision and mm. she had a not. teenager. Yes. Yeah, yes. Like yeah. Yeah. Which is not, that but, happens you know, true, but um, TV's not perfect. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, she made that choice and, you know, went through with it in the long run, that would have, been another child that was snatched from her anyway. Well, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. grim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also now having had a baby, I, I I felt like, yeah, literally how would she make her life work with, a you know, a four-year-old already, a, a job that's shift work? Like, literally how would she look after a newborn mm. now that I know the intimate details of how insane the experience is? Um, yeah. What else could she have done? Mm. That's always the infuriating part about the anti-choices is that they don't actually care about the woman and yeah. mm-hmm. and or even what the life of the children would be like yeah. either. Mm-hmm. Like, where is the support for women? Where yeah. Where is it? Fix that. You know? There's no legislated paternity or maternity leave in the States either. And I don't think there would have mm-hmm. been in this pre-Gilead time yeah, either. Yeah, shocking. Yeah. Well, look, choices are all through this episode. It's, you know, it's a very pro-choice episode, shall we say. <laughs> um, the, the, the way they come through in so many ways across it. Look, it's a bummer of an episode, but it, it's a good <laughs> I one. I enjoyed it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it really sat with me this yeah, one. Like, it's same. funny because like the, like I think the episode three with that tragic train ending was almost kind of classic Handmaids, yeah. you know, mm. um, whereas this one hit differently for me and sort of stayed with me for a while yeah. and was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was mm. actually quite affecting. Mm. Just the promise of freedom has been hanging over kind of June's arc for so long. And she finally gets out of Gilead and it is such a, such a letdown. Yeah. Such a, letdown. Yeah. Such a kind of reality hit. Yeah. 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 Because it's this mythical idea of like once you pass the border, it's it's going to be great. And you'll it's be, be milk and embraced. honey. Milk and honey. Land of milk and honey. But nope, not so far. But look, all right. Good spot to speculate. 
Where now? So they can stay, thanks to Janine. Will they? What's what's next? Speculation time. Oh, God, I hate speculating because I feel like I always reveal myself to be a complete idiot because like, you never know. <laughs> what actually is the currency of that place? Is it a sexual assault a day or like one a week? Yeah. 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 Oh, my God, yeah. I can see them leaving that place very quickly. Yeah. I don't think they're sticking around. And also, ha, uh-huh, in the trailer, the bombs start to drop on them very soon and they're running for their lives in that space. So I don't think they're going to be hanging out there for much longer. How they get out, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, some drama's coming. Yeah, I think that's the next bit. Yeah, wh- yeah. where they are from mm. here. Um, well, my pre- my prediction is the the Fred and Serena yes. reunion. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, yes. That's, that's what I see coming. Okay. <sighs> so that's episode four. We're almost halfway. I don't care for the way this is... That's too quick. ...rocketing like a <laughs> freight train to Chicago. <laughs> Full of sloshing milk. <laughs> um, look, thank you for listening. We hope that helped. We're off to jump a goods train. The show has premiered now. It's out in the world. There are some tweets about... As we record today, the episodes have just gone to air last night in Australia. I want to say thank you to someone on Twitter who's called Mag, um, at Beth Shuff, who says, I'm so happy to hear your voices. And... We're very happy to be back as well. So yeah. thank you for listening. Thank Much you. appreciated. It's weird but amazing to be back. Someone on Twitter um, talked about Janine pulling out another Star Wars reference. I didn't get I didn't the Star Wars it reference. Did yes. No, no, I well, didn't. Tell, can you get back to us and illuminate, illuminate what you meant, Amanda Cook? Yes. <laughs> I did have a funny one based on our discussion of Evil Skivvy Man. <laughs> And we should three. <laughs> yeah, we should unpack what a skivvy is. We realise, you know, we know we're Australian, but we have some international listeners. Uh, I thought skivvy was the weirdest word when I first landed on these shores. <laughs> but it's a turtleneck, apparently. Um, how you get skivvy from turtleneck, I don't really know. But yeah. But anywho, the uh, the chief enforcer in the torture episode, um, Alexandra, said, beige skivvy guy reminded me of the Nazi villain in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I thought that was a good callback. Thank you, Alexandra. <laughs> Um, and I did have a question of food for thought from Ilana. Besides homemade bread, what is traditional Gilead food? Mm. Oh, I had a thought on that, which is just uh, well, it was just a reminder, actually, like thinking about that question. They aren't allowed to read or write. Mm. So there's no recipes. They can't read a recipe and they can't write a recipe. Oh, yeah. They could draw one, but... Yeah, that's not it's good for portion sizes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the kind of person that, like, you know, when I bake a cake, I do it exactly. Like, my partner always laughs at me that I'm like, <laughs> it calls for one cup. I'm putting one cup in. It calls for a tablespoon. I'm not putting in a splash. I'm putting in a tablespoon. <laughs> and so I really would not survive as, like, a cook in this world. Like, I would not know how to make anything without, like, something to read and write about. So I guess the, I guess what is food in Gilead? It's it's the stuff they remember how to make. That's what it is. Yeah, it's a pinch of this, and I, yeah, I think it's all yeah. Like you say, um, Haiti farm to table. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, down home cooking. Graham W. Kidd also talked about Chekhov's knife in terms of the the knife that uh, I think um, Esther and, and June used to slaughter that guy. Did they um, ever? That commander. <laughs> I, I didn't quite get the connection with Chekhov's knife. Do you guys know what? Uh, this is yeah, like the Chekhov's, Chekhov's gun, gun theory. Trope. Like, don't show a gun right. unless you're going to fire it. Uh, okay, kind of yes. Thing. That's true. Yeah, when that knife did appear, I did think, well, that's going to get used at some yeah, point. Exactly. So, yes, absolutely right, Graham. Yeah. 
Um, look, thank you. We we love reading your tweets. Yeah, we're all over that hashtag too, so um, do use that. Um, hashtag eyes on Gilead. Look, while we're on the topic of Twitter, you can find me on Twitter at anything but Fifi. Natalie, where can we find you? At Natalie Hambley. Sana. At Sana underscore Kadar. Haiti. At Haiti Island. We look forward to your takes on episode four and the milk truck. So we will be back to recap episode five when it drops. And always remember new episodes of The Handmaid's Tale season four premiere every Thursday on SBS and at SBS On Demand. And if you are watching on television, those episodes premiere at 9.30pm. Now we're back to single episodes. If you speak other languages or know someone who does, SBS On Demand is also subtitling the series in simplified Chinese and Arabic. So do watch it that way. And while we have you, uh, whatever app you're listening to us on, feel free to leave feedback and give us a rating because it helps other people to find the show. If you can't get enough of Handmaids, uh, we have more coverage at SBS Guide where we've got recommendations for other things you can watch as you await the next episode. And if you want even more recommendations, you might like my other podcast, The Playlist, which I host with Ben Nguyen and we talk movies and TV shows that are worth your time. Recommendations or plugs, anyone? Haiti, what's something people should watch between episodes? There's a fantastic drama that's just launched on SBS On Demand and SBS called Dead Border Fell. Stars David Tennant and Kush Jumbo, who some viewers might know from The Good Fight. She's fantastic. And it's a a kind of a a Scottish mystery where a kind of a a close-knit community is torn apart after a kind of devastating house fire that starts unravelling all these secrets about the uh, town members. So that sounds oddly handmade. If you uh, (laughs) you want something dark and fiery to watch between (laughs) dark and fiery episodes of The Handmaid's, (laughs) I recommend Dead Waterfell. Speaking of David Tennant, he did a podcast. Well, he he has a podcast, but he interviewed Elizabeth Moss and it was actually really good. Ah, I recommend. Okay. Okay. Noted. Got another recommendation to Um, watch? Yes. Well, look, I work for SBS Voices and we actually branched out into TV ourselves last year. We did a little sort of 12-minute factual show called What is Yellow Fever? and explored online dating from the perspective of Asian Australian women, which was really interesting. It's on SBS On Demand. Um, Please watch and let me know what you think. What's it called? It's called The Swiping Game, What is Yellow Fever? Great. Sana, got something to recommend? I'll plug um, a recent episode we had on All in the Mind, my other podcast, which is all about postpartum psychosis, which is, you know, if we're talking about pregnancy and childbirth and, you know, kind of handmaids related, but um, it's a fascinating topic. It's a really rare condition. It affects only, you know, one in a thousand women thereabouts, uh, but it's debilitating and devastating when it does happen. So we spoke to a woman who is a psychologist who who got it, but she'd never even heard of it until she experienced postpartum psychosis. So that's a really interesting episode that I would definitely recommend. Mm. And I'll recommend there's an outstanding documentary series that um, is going to air currently on SBS and On Demand, See What You Made Me Do, Mm. which um, is hosted by Jess Hill, investigative journalist who has been working in domestic abuse stories for many, many years. It's based on her book, of the same name. It's outstanding and its first episode has gone to air on SBS as we speak um, but is available at SBS On Demand and it really gets into the the issues, speaks to victim survivors but also focuses on perpetrator behaviour and just understanding the mindset um, of this, you know, light. Yeah, outstanding. See what you made me do and that's uh, on SBS and at On Demand. And on that, you know, we talk about some serious stuff in this show so um, if it brings up anything for you or for someone you know, 
do know that uh, help uh, confidential counselling and resources are available at 1800RESPECT. There's a website with, with all the details, 1800RESPECT.org.au. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down. Well, welcome back. It's a fucking disaster.